Can I ask you to help me just for a second? Join in for 30 seconds. Can you complete these phrases for me? Once upon a... Time, on this occasion, thanks George. Once upon a time in a kingdom... Far away, yeah, lovely, great, good stuff. Uh, what about this one? A long time ago in a... Galaxy far away, yeah, that's another good one. These are the first lines of nearly every fairy tale, the first one, and nearly every Star Wars film, the second one. And you can tell a fairy tale, or a fiction, from the fact it is set at an unspecific time in a vague place with a bit of magic, some supernatural thrown in. There are some who put the nativity in this genre. They think that the angels, the stars, wise men traveling from afar, an old wise couple who have a baby, a young innocent maiden, it all sounds way too magic and mystical. It's a nice children's story, it's cute to see a nativity at Christmas, but really it's a load of mumbo-jumbo. These people who put the nativity in this genre have never read Luke's Gospel, never. Or if they have, they have not been thinking clearly. This gospel is the most helpful for skeptics because Luke is so, so clear in writing this gospel that it's fact, not fiction, that he is on about. This is also a brilliant record for Christians who are, who are doubting. Christian, if someone ever asks you, about what you believe. If a family member is skeptical, they ask lots of good questions and you're a bit puzzled. And you've got a bit of uncertainty in your mind and you think, well, yeah, do I believe that? Is that true? Oh, I've got doubts now. They've confused me. If that was you, Christian, would you not want a trustworthy and intelligent Christian, maybe a, an older one, to sit down with you and remind you of the truths of God's word? You'd want them to say, look, Christian, there are many records of what actually happened. Many people have written down the truths that have occurred. They noted them down exactly as they were told to them by the actual eyewitnesses, those people that were really there. And you'd want that wise old Christian brother or sister to say to you, look, I have carefully and painstakingly researched and looked into all of this, and I'm going to write it down for you my doubting friend, so that you know with 100% confidence that the things you've learned are 100% true, you're going to have total confidence that what you've been taught is the truth. If only in those moments of doubt we all had a wise, trustworthy, intelligent Christian mentor like that. Well, we do. Let me read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is what he writes. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, my dear Christian brother and sister, my most excellent Theophilus, 
so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. This is how Luke's gospel starts. He's, it's here for doubters, it's here for skeptics, it's here's the facts, guys. But a skeptic might say, ah, but of course, a good storyteller always wants you to be drawn into their saga. Of course, they'll tell you the story is real. Just because a narrator says that doesn't mean the story is a fairy tale, or isn't a fairy tale or parable. But the problem with Luke's gospel for a skeptic is that if you read it, it isn't a storybook. It's a history book. It isn't full of fantasy and mystery and plot twists. It's full of historical dates, real people, real places, witnessed events. So before we get into today's passage, I want to quickly skim read with you the first few verses of Luke's intro. Let's see if it sounds like a folk tale. See if it sounds like Star Wars. Is it a once upon a time in a galaxy far away story, or is this a history book? So, verse 5 says, and I'm paraphrasing, when a real king, Herod, was king of a real place, Judea, there was a real man, Zechariah, married to a real woman called Elizabeth. He had a real job, priest, because he was part of a real family, the Abijahs who were descendants of a real man called Aaron. They had a couple of real married couple problems. They'd not been able to conceive. And one real day when Zechariah was at work, he'd followed the real historical priestly process of drawing lots and then had to go into that historical real building, the temple, and do the real task of burning incense. We're only five verses in here into his intro, but Luke could not really have managed to fit any more facts in there. He's packing a lot of details into this intro. At work, uh, my leadership team, they laugh at me very often because I set the scene too much. I'm too in the details, is what they say. They say, I could get to the point quicker. You might be nodding in agreement right now. The problem is I'm just a Luke. Luke's give you the details. My favorite detail is in verse 11 of chapter 1. Luke is introducing an angel. And at this point, he's probably a little bit worried that the skeptic might start to see this as supernatural mumbo-jumbo. He's probably thinking, I might lose those who don't believe in angels here. I might lose them. So he writes, verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, he thinks got to keep those skeptics rooted in some truth and fact. So he adds, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Why mention where this happened? Why is it so important that we know it was by an altar? More specifically, the altar of incense. Even more specifically, to the right side of the altar of incense. Even more specifically, standing to the right side of the altar of incense. Why is there this unnecessary detail? Because Luke is underlining, putting in italics and in bold, and then highlighting in pink, this is a real event, happened in a real place. I can point you to the spot, he's saying. 
So let's skip to the passage for this morning, verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. And if you only remember one detail from this sermon, let it be this. This really happened. This actually occurred at a time in history, a place on earth. People felt it, heard it, lived through it. Every detail in this sermon is so that you can know for certain, as you've been taught here before, that these things were fulfilled. So play a game with me in verse 26 and 27. We're going to play spot the detail. Firstly, verse 26. In the sixth month, we start with a time frame, a specific detail. The sixth month of what? Well, let's add in a real person, Elizabeth. But that doesn't tell you what about Elizabeth. Well, her pregnancy. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we've got a real person, a real time scale. God sent. The creator God did something. He was active. He sent. Sent somebody with a purpose. Who did he send? The angel Gabriel. Not a messenger. Not even just a message, a text. The angel Gabriel. Not many times are angels named, but this one, we get the details from Luke. So where's Gabriel going? Is it to Elizabeth? It's to Nazareth, a real place. But someone might ask, well, isn't there two Nazareths, three Nazareths? There could be many places called Nazareth. No, the one in Galilee. Where's he going in Galilee? He's going to a virgin. Well, there could be many virgins. Anyone below the age of 16 and many above that could have been a virgin. What about one that's specifically pledged to be married? We're narrowing it down, getting into the detail here. But you might say, well, in a town of of Nazareth, there could be many virgins pledged to be married. Anyone between the age of maybe 12 and 30 could be pledged to be married. Younger than that, maybe it's too young. Older than that, maybe they don't pledge, just get on with it. You're too old now, just get married. But we're narrowing it down gradually. Can we narrow it down further? Yes. Pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. But Joseph is a common name. Do we know any more? Yes. He's Joseph Davidson. He's a descendant of David. Part of that royal family. Is that enough detail? No. Luke says, let's have one more. The virgin's name was Mary. Luke is underlining, bolding, italicing, and highlighting in a variety of colours facts for us, details. I make that at least 13 specific details in two verses. Why? So that we might know for certain that this truly did occur. And we could continue through the next 11 verses and list every detail, but that would be a boring sermon. So let's pause that task. We're going to zoom out from the specifics to consider what is going on, what is this event that Luke is underlining so many times. And if we summarize verse 26 and verse 27, we can say God sent a messenger to a virgin called Mary. Forget the 13 details. The overview is God sent a messenger 
to a virgin called Mary. If he sent a messenger, they must have had a message. So what does Gabriel say? Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And I think we, I definitely was, we're probably tempted to paraphrase this in today's context. You might paraphrase it as, Hello, you special one. God loves you. But that misses something. Misses something very big that Mary does not miss. This is not a nice positive, hello, you special one, God loves you. It's not what he's saying here. These words are heavy with significance. There's a lot of meaning. And this greeting hits Mary like a train. She is perplexed in verse 29, or terrified, or greatly troubled, the word is translated. Why is she greatly troubled? If if it's just, hello, you special one, God loves you, that's not troubling. But we've made the mistake of listening like 21st century Brits, not a pre-1st century Jew. To Mary, this would have sounded like The words that Moses heard in Exodus, that Joshua heard in Deuteronomy, that the nation of Israel hears in Isaiah 7 and 41 and Zephaniah 3. We'll see it's also very similar to the words the disciples hear in Matthew 28 as Jesus is taken to heaven. These words, particularly, the Lord is with you, nearly always meant that that hearer or hearers, when it was addressed to all of Israel, were about to go through something or were expected to do something that they could not manage, that was humanly impossible. Something that would, if they did it in their own strength, break them. Moses was told to face the terrifying Pharaoh and say, Oi, let my people go. Joshua was told to lead a whole nation into battle to conquer an inhabited land. The disciples were told to tell every single nation in the world about Jesus. In each case, what the hearer heard wasn't, hello, God loves you. It was, brace yourself. God is going to need you to do something important, and you're going to need him to carry you through this massive thing that he's got planned for you. That's what Mary hears in this greeting, and it greatly troubles her. Brace yourself. God's going to need to carry you through this next bit. And when it says, you found, you're highly favoured, or you found favour, or God has chosen you, however you translate it. It's not a warm, quaint, fuzzy thing that we hear. Oh, God has chosen me. We've made it a, a soppy, pleasant thing. No, it's a life-altering thing. God has chosen you for a purpose. Mary, God has chosen you for a big task. Mary is rightly troubled, and Gabriel spots it. He was probably expecting it. 
And Gabriel knows that he must now do two things. One, reassure Mary. Two, clarify some things for Mary. So he says, we're in verse um, 30 of Luke chapter 1. He says, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do not be afraid is how he starts. Hopefully he's reassuring her that this big thing is big, but she doesn't need to fear it. You have found favor, he says next. Mary, you found favor in verse 30. He's reassuring her that this is actually a good thing. She has been blessed. She is receiving grace from God. And note here that she has found favor. She's not earned it. She's not deserved it. She wasn't born with it, as some would say. She has graciously found it. She's been given it. It's a blessing from a merciful God. So Gabriel reassures, then he clarifies the detail from verse 31 to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son and to call him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's look at the job Mary is being tasked with, the thing that troubles her. Firstly, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth. The task is to have a baby. Well, she is a girl. They have babies. She is nearly married. So a young wife having a baby, that's not particularly surprising. Many women will tell me that is troubling, the thought of labor, but it's not that surprising. What else do we read? She finds out it's a boy. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Well, that's a 50-50 normally. It's not that strange for a messenger from God to be able to tell which of the two sexes the child will be. Maybe not too surprising that it's a boy. She's told to call him Jesus. Jesus, we know, is the Greek form of Joshua, which is a good, strong Jewish name. She probably isn't that surprised that she'll call him Joshua. She liked that name already. Then, still verse... Oh, no, moved on to verse 32. He will be great. Well, that is reassuring for an expectant mother to know. But again, it's not that monumental. I think most mums think their sons are great. But the big stuff is to come. Verse 32. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of God. The offspring of Yahweh. Not just a son of God. The Greeks had loads of those. This isn't a demigod myth. Luke has been clear on that. The actual son 
of the actual almighty, most high, God over all, she will give birth to. That's bombshell number one for Mary. Bombshell number two is that he will be king. She's going to be the mother of the king. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Bombshell number three comes quickly. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants. Other translations say, over all of Jacob's house. That's everyone. Everyone is related to Jacob. Everyone is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the son of the Most High will be her baby. Her baby will be king on the throne of David. Her baby will be king over all of Jacob's descendants and the final bombshell, for he'll be king forever. His kingdom will never end, in verse 33. It's not just king over a couple of tribes, not just the north, everyone. Not just for five years like our governments last, not 20 years or all his adult life, forever. This is bigger than the normal birth of a normal boy called Joshua. And if at this point I was Mary, I'd be thinking, how do I raise a king? Or I'd be worrying, how do I raise the son of God? How do I prepare this boy, my son, to rule all of mankind? How do I develop a child? I've never had one. How do I develop a child so that he can be a good and wise and honest king forever. None of Israel's previous kings lasted that long with their wisdom and honesty. All of them failed. She's got to bring up one that will last forever. And Mary is thinking something. They're the thoughts I would have. Mary is thinking something. It does begin with how. But it's not how can I manage this. How do I teach a king? How do I love and develop the son of the Most High? Now it appears that all of those questions have been settled in our hearts just by the angel saying, don't be afraid. God has graciously blessed you. He is with you. She's not too worried about the what ifs. God's going to be with me for that bit. She's not worrying about the long-term questions. God will sort them out. Her question is, well, how will I be a mum if I'm currently a virgin? Her question's not a big picture one. It's not a theological one. It's a practical one. She's gone into practical mode, like most expectant mothers do. She knows how conception usually works, but she wants to check here on the practicalities. Perhaps she's asking, will I still be a virgin when I marry Joseph? Perhaps she's thinking of him and she wants to save herself for him. She's saying, okay, Gabriel, I'll do it. But, but will I still be able to stay pure for my precious Joseph? I want to truly be his betrothed, his wife only. That's her concern. How? How's this going to happen? 
And perhaps Gabriel's answer does point to that being Mary's main thought. It's as if here, in verse 35, he says, don't worry, Mary, you'll still be a virgin. God's power is just going to settle on you. It's going to cover you or overshadow you in a very special way. Verse 35 says, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's going to be different, Mary. Don't worry about those details. And Gabriel adds then a note about Elizabeth, Mary's relative being pregnant. It's as if to say, leave the creating a baby thing to God. He has ways of doing the impossible you'll never understand in that regard. Verse 36 and 37 say, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Or as Jay read for us, another translation, for nothing is impossible with God. And here in Luke 1, Mary doesn't appear to ask any follow-up questions. She's heard enough. She knows enough of the power of God to simply trust. I don't know many women who would be given this sort of news, you're pregnant, or you're going to be, that wouldn't have, whoa, some thoughts, some concerns, some questions. But Mary has heard the message, your God is with you. You are blessed. And she knows her God, and she trusts her God. And in verse 38, we read that she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel thinks, all right, job done, and leaves her. Faith in the Bible is often so simple. All those people recorded in the book of Hebrews who have righteousness credited to them because they had a faith in God's promises, they just trusted what God says. They just trust that it's going to come true. They just trust that nothing is impossible with God. That's all Mary does here. She says, okay, I'm God's servant. God said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. So, okay, I believe. I'm chosen. I don't need to fear. He's with me. May his will be done. That's faith. Believing what is promised. Believing what God has said and saying, okay, The Lord's will be done. So what can we learn from these details? What can we learn from this event this morning? What's the takeaways for us? Well, firstly, as I mentioned before, Luke is writing a fact book, a history book. The Son of God was born. We'll go on to see more of that in Luke chapter 2. The Son of God was born. And he was born to save and to be king. We spotted, it says in this section, that he's going to be king. He's going to be given the throne of his father David, who was the great king from the past. 
We saw in verse 33 that he's going to reign over all of Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom's never going to end. We saw the Son of God was to be born as king. What I mean by he was born to save? Well, Mary's told to give him the name Jesus. And there's one detail that Luke doesn't give us here, but that Matthew does. When Matthew records the visit of an angel to Joseph, he says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. A detail Luke misses, but a very important detail. The name given is Joshua. He saves. God saves. The Son of God was born at Christmas. It's a certainty. He was called Jesus, which means he saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. And Romans 5 tells us, I'm just going to quickly flick there. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 Read, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Luke here is underlining that just at the right time, the Saviour was born. Paul later underlines just at the right time, the King died. And it was all to save us. He was born to save. He was born to be King. Born to save and to rule. And Jesus isn't actually in this passage. If you think about it, he's not been conceived here. We see God the Father sends a messenger. We see the angel introduced. We hear the Holy Spirit's coming. Jesus isn't really in this passage. But this passage is all about him. Luke is setting the scene. He's underlining the historical details before he gets to the focus of his book. The focus of his book is that people would have certainty that Jesus saves and Jesus is king. So this morning I want to ask you to read it. Read Luke's Gospel. It's there for a skeptic. It's there for a doubter. It's there for a believer that we might know the certainty of the things we've been taught. Luke writes about the real Jesus how he really lived, how he really taught, how he really died, that he really came to life again, and how he is really reigning from heaven. So point one to take away, the Son of God was born to save and to be king. It's an encouragement for us all. Point two, Christians are highly favoured. Highly favoured. Mary here is told, you have found favour. You have been blessed. You are chosen. And the message to her was specific to her. 
But we are often in the Bible given the same sort of names. Chosen ones, highly favoured, those who've received mercy and grace from God. But highly favoured comes with great responsibility. When the Bible says, you are highly favoured, the Lord is with you, it means you're going to need him. It means he's got something humanly impossible planned. And this week, as I prepared this, it gave Matthew 28 a new depth for me. We know that as Jesus is taken up into heaven, the last words he says to his people, the Great Commission, as we call it, was a big job. Verse 18 of Matthew 28 Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. What was promised to Mary is fulfilled. He's going to reign on the throne over Jacob's house forever. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Anytime you see I am with you, it's because there's a big job to do. Christian, this morning, Matthew 28 is a big job, but God is with you. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. We are to tell everyone this truth. We are to read them Luke's gospel, tell them the facts, and to teach them to obey everything that this King Jesus commands. So yeah, it gave me a new depth to Matthew 28 this week. He's with us because this is hard. But he's with us and nothing's impossible for him. Nothing is impossible for him. Luke has already mentioned that an elderly Um, woman is going to conceive and she has she's six months gone at this point now Luke's mentioning that a virgin is going to give birth and in chapter 2 which we'll get to shortly we see that a virgin does give birth here it says may your word in verse 38 may your word to me be fulfilled Mary's ready for that And Gabriel said, yeah, no word from God ever fails. Nothing is impossible for God. So when we see that God is with us and he gives us a job to do, do not be afraid, is what Gabriel says. In fact, most of the times an angel appears and says something, they start with, don't be afraid. Something big is about to be told to you. It's a big job, but God is with you and nothing is impossible for him. And Mary teaches us that the only way to respond to being given a big job is to trust, to have faith. It's not to go into training. It's not to get down the gym and work out a bit. Mary says simply, I'm the Lord's servant. May his will be done. She has faith that God is in control. She has faith that nothing is impossible for him. 
She has faith that he will provide her with the grace she needs to love the Son of God and to raise a king. Her faith is simple. It's just, okay, your will be done. And our faith only needs to be simple. It's a trust in God's promises. It's an, okay, I'll follow you. It's an, okay, God, your will be done. And after putting her faith in God's promise, moving to the next section, really, of Luke, but Mary does two things. This is from verses 39 to uh, 56, really. She does two things with this simple faith. The first thing is very typical of a woman. She runs straight away and tells someone. She runs to see Elizabeth. She's got to tell someone this news. She wants to talk about it. And in a way, that's what we're supposed to do. As soon as we put our faith in Jesus that he is king, that he's the son of God, we're supposed to run and tell someone. Excitedly, like an expectant mother, go and gossip about it with your friends. We're supposed to go and tell someone. And the second thing she does, in verse 46, is she sings a song of worship. She trusts, she tells people, and she worships God. I'm going to read verse 46 to 55 as we close. This is the way Mary's heart overwhelms, overflows, I mean, with with love for her God. Let's read this to close in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. And Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So this morning, remember that the Son of God was born to save you and to be your king. That if you know him, that if you're chosen by him, that if you're following him, you are highly favoured, And that comes with responsibility. But that nothing is impossible for our God. And our job is to have faith, simple faith, and go tell people and sing his praise. I'm going to pray for us as we close, and then we are going to sing his praise. It's a song that has very similar themes to Mary's song here. It's perhaps even written as a response to reading Mary's song. It's praise my soul, the King of heaven. But let's pray before we come to praise him. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for Luke. We thank you for his details. We thank you that this is fact, not fiction. We thank you that you have recorded for us the truths that we need to know 
the truths we've been taught so we can have certainty that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That at just the right time, Christ Jesus stepped down from heaven, became man, was born as a baby to the Virgin Mary, so that he might save, he might be king, king forever. Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning that our response to this truth would be one of awe, what a great God we have, and one of simple faith, that we trust in the promises, that we trust in Jesus as Saviour, that we trust him to be our king, and that we trust that God will be with us. Lord God, as we sing your praise this morning, I pray that it will bring us to a place of continual worship of you, that we would be excited today to go and tell people like Mary told Elizabeth. And I pray for us this afternoon as we invite so many of our friends and our neighbours into this chapel. I pray that we'd be excited like expectant Mary to tell the good news, to declare praises to our God in front of people, to say this is the truth Christ Jesus died for you. Christ Jesus was born for you. Christ Jesus lived for you. And I pray for your blessing upon us this afternoon that many more would hear this message and would know that Luke tells the truth. That many more would have their eyes opened to seeing Christ Jesus as King. Amen.